Amen. Thank you, Stan. Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 4 tonight. Actually, we're going to look at the first 16 verses, Genesis 4, and learn some lessons from the account of Cain and Abel. From the time of the fall when uh, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, sin in the human heart has had devastating effects from that moment all the way to this moment. And we see that clearly here in the account of Cain and Abel. Two brothers, and yet we see how different these two brothers raised by the same parents could be. And I think that uh, we've all experienced that or known of that, how different kids can be. Particularly, even though they're raised in the same family, in the same home. And we certainly see that here with Cain and Abel. And we can, look, we can learn a lot from both of them, positively and negatively. So look at Genesis 4. Let me read the first 16 verses, and then we'll go back and look at it in more detail. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord 
and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Cain and Abel. What do we, what do we see here about these two men? Well, first, let's take a look at who they were. Look at their lives. What do we know about Cain? Well, we know his name means gotten or acquired from the Lord. There are other references in Scripture to both Cain and Abel. Uh, for instance, with Cain, Hebrews 11.4. And these other references help us maybe to understand a little bit more about what happened here and why the Lord reacted the way that he did. Hebrews 11.4, we find Abel listed in the roll call of faith, don't we? He's in the hall of fame of faith. Hebrews 11.4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. That's quite a tribute to Abel, isn't it? We don't know a lot about Abel, but God put him in the hall of fame of faith. And said that his life is still speaking by his righteousness. 1 John 3 verses 11 and 12 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. And so scripture helps us to interpret scripture. That's one of the great principles of the Christian life. Always remember scripture will help interpret scripture. If you find something that's a little uh, hazy or you don't quite understand it, oftentimes there is another reference in scripture that will shed light that will help you to understand better. Cain was of the wicked one, it tells us in 1 John 3, 11 and 12, meaning that his heart was not inclined toward the Lord, but he was really caught in sin. And out of that came the murder of his brother. Now here we find in Genesis 4, it says that Cain killed Abel. But 1 John 3 uses the word murder, that he murdered his brother. So this was not some kind of an accidental death. This was a deliberate killing. He murdered his brother. And here we have the first murder recorded in the scripture. What was his occupation? What was Cain's occupation? He was a farmer. Now, don't, don't take any uh, lessons that because Cain was a farmer, that there's something wrong with farmers. That, that's not the point. That isn't what the Scripture is saying. We've got some wonderful farmers in this church, and you've, you've known many wonderful people who are farmers. So that's not the point here, the fact that Cain was a tiller of the ground. That wasn't the problem. It was his heart toward God. That was the problem. Now, what do we know about Abel? His name means breath or vapor. Uh, some translations even would say it means nothing. 
And I think the point of that is that really his name became almost a prophecy of what was going to happen to him. You know, we have in, in the New Testament, it says life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. And so here was the life of this good man, this righteous man, Abel. It was there for a little while, and then his life was taken. His life was taken by murder by his own brother. So his, the meaning of his own name almost became a prophecy of what was to come. There are some other references in the scripture to Abel, as we've already seen. 1 John 3, 11 and 12 that we just read uh, tells us that his, he was righteous, whereas Cain was of the evil one. Matthew 23, 35, we have Jesus in passing refers to Abel and he called him righteous Abel. So he was so honored that the Lord Jesus himself even referenced him as righteous Abel. And then in Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Isn't that an interesting reference? And so in Hebrews it says, Jesus, who gave his life for us, who shed his blood that we might be forgiven of sin, it calls his blood, the blood of sprinkling, that speaks better things than that of Abel, meaning Abel's blood. Now, what in the world does that mean? I think what it means is the scripture that we read said that after Cain killed Abel, what does God say to Cain? Your brother's blood cries out to me. How did it cry out? It, it was a, that's a way of God saying that you have shed innocent blood and therefore the blood of Abel cries out to me for judgment. The blood of Abel cried out against his brother for judgment. But what does the blood of Jesus Christ do? The blood of Jesus Christ cries out in our behalf, not for judgment, but for grace. That In that sense, the blood of sprinkling, the blood of Christ shed for us, it cries out in a way that is better than that of Abel. Now, this is not a knock on Abel. But it's saying that even as the blood of Abel cried out for judgment against his brother who committed murder, so the blood of Christ stands in our behalf, speaks for us, cries out for us that we might be forgiven of sin. 
And so this is an incredible statement that uh, speaks of the blood of Christ that in a sense is, is figured or typed by the blood of Abel. What Christ's blood does is the opposite, and it cries out in our behalf. David Jeremiah said, after Abel was killed by Cain, his blood cried out to God for judgment, declaring Cain's guilt. The blood of Christ, on the other hand, accomplished our forgiveness. His blood cries out that his followers are innocent of sin. Thus it speaks better things than Abel's blood. Abel, what was his occupation? He wasn't a farmer. He was a, a shepherd, wasn't he? A tender of the sheep. Now what about their offerings? That became the real crux of the relationship between Cain and Abel. Their offerings to God. Abel's offering, mentioned there in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, he brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And it says the Lord respected Abel and his offering. We put the focus on the offering. I don't think the offering was the main deal here. It says the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And then it says the offering that Cain brought, the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. And that brought great anger to the life of Cain. Why was Cain's offering not satisfactory to God while Abel's offering was Well, I think clearly Abel, he gave of the very best that he had. It says Cain gave an offering, but it doesn't really say that he gave of the very best that he had. And we have a couple of clues here that the real problem with Cain, beyond the offering that he gave, was the the heart with which he gave it. David Jeremiah also said here about Cain, Cain's response to God hints at why God did not respect Cain and his offering. Those who become angry when someone in authority legitimately corrects them reveals their selfish hearts. Cain further rejected God's authority by ignoring God's invitation to make the right choice. The way Cain responded to God telling him that he did not respect his offering, that in and of itself revealed a heart that was not right with God. And, you know, if we come to God with whatever we bring, whatever offering or whatever thing, uh, ritual or prayer or whatever it is we're trying to do, if we don't come to God with a heart of submission to him, devotion to him love for him if our heart is not right then it doesn't matter what offering we're giving it's not going to be an acceptable offering to God Warren Wearsby said Cain was not rejected because of his offering but his offering was rejected because of Cain that was the problem his heart wasn't right with God it was by faith that Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice as we read in Hebrews 11:4 it 
So Abel brought his offering by faith. He, by faith, he offered that offering. And so his heart was right with God. And as a result, his offering, he and his offering, were accepted by God, whereas Cain and his offering was rejected. Abel brought the best that he had, truly seeking to please God, devoted to God, but Cain didn't have that attitude of faith. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, Behold, the, 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 to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. So a heart of submission, a heart of obedience to God, that's the best offering you can bring to Him. And if you bring it along with the actual offering, then God is going to be pleased. Jude, Jude verse 11, another statement. It says they had gone, talking about those who were unbelievers, those who for, were willful. It says they have gone in the way of Cain. The way of Cain is the way of selfishness and unbelief. That was the problem. That's why God was not pleased with the offering of Cain. Well, how did Cain react to that? He got mad. He got angry. He had a heart of rage. And so when God did not accept his offering, did not accept his heart, it says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? So God knew he was angry, didn't he? Does God know when we're angry? Does he know our heart? He does, doesn't he? Uh, we may try to hide it from other people. Sometimes we don't try to hide it from other people. But either way, God knows when we are angry. And so here we have in Genesis 4, the very first chapter following the fall in Genesis 3, anger is a problem already in the human heart. And it still is today, isn't it? And it is, the, it is at the root of so much evil that takes place. Anger and jealousy, those two things often go together. Jealousy often then leads to this anger, or you could say the other way around as well. And why has your countenance fallen? Isn't that an interesting statement? Why has your countenance fallen? God says that twice. Now it says that his countenance fell, and then the Lord said, why has your countenance fallen? In other words, he was, he was sulking, wasn't he? He was having a pity party. His countenance had fallen because he was angry. Anyone, if you've ever worked with kids or had children, you know what that means. You can just see it, can't you? You can just see it. their face fell, their countenance fell. And it's going to go one or two ways when that happens. Either there's going to be an open heart, you know, you're hurt, you're, you're sad, and you don't want to displease whoever you've displeased. And therefore, you want to, to find out, what do I need to do differently? In other words, repentance or turning. Or it's going to go the other way. And with Cain, it went the other way. Cain became more angry. 
he became jealous of his brother. And so God here tries to, you know, he gives him good advice. Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, you'll be accepted just like your brother. If you have the right heart, if you do right, if you have a heart of obedience and submission, you'll be accepted too. That's what God is saying to him. But if you do not do well, here's a great phrase. Sin lies at the door. Here, the statement that God makes, it personifies sin. Sin becomes, the word there, lies at the door, is literally a phrase that means crouching at the door. Crouching at the door. Like an animal. Or like a, a person who's lying in wait, ready to pounce. Doesn't the New Testament describe Satan? It says he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sin crouches at the door. It's always crouching at the door for us, isn't it? And if we give it an opening, it's going to pounce on us. And that's what God is saying to Cain. He's, he's essentially pleading with Cain to turn from his anger and do right like, like Abel. And he'll be accepted. Or you're going, to go, you're going to descend into this life of sin. And it's waiting for you. Its desire is for you. Not for you in the sense of on your side. No, its desire is to devour you. It wants you. And so sin is almost personified here as a living thing that is ready to grab people. And God is the only answer to be able to avoid that destruction and that disaster. Well, verse 8, Abel does not, he doesn't listen to God. It says Abel, it says verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Or as it describes over in the New Testament, murdered him. Doesn't say how he did it. Doesn't say whether this is first degree murder, that he went out there to the field intending to kill him, or whether he went out there and he talked with his brother and they got into it and in the heat of the moment he murdered him, he killed him. Uh, so either way he was dead though, wasn't he? Either way, Cain had not done what God wanted him to do. He didn't pull back from that, that precipice. Instead, he went right over the cliff. And he did exactly what he should not have done. So there's not much there about, the, about Abel. But God filled in the blanks. Not only what he said here, but throughout the rest of Scripture. That he was a man of faith. Abel was a righteous man. And that God was very pleased with him. His blood continued to cry out. And in a sense, his blood today continues to speak. It cries out for those who have been unjustly killed, who have been murdered. The blood of innocence 
And don't the blood of the innocent who are being killed today, don't they still cry out? Their blood speaks. Their blood cries out to God for judgment. I think here in our own country, you know, with the terrible scourge of abortion, the, the taking of the most innocent of lives, their blood cries out to God. And there will be an accounting for those who take innocent life. And any kind of real judicial system that's based on the Judeo-Christian ethic will always seek to bring justice to those whose lives have been taken like Abel's life was taken. How did Abel respond? Is there ever any repentance here mentioned by Abel? Does it ever show that he, he was sorry for what he did? No. As we read the passage, there's a lot of feeling sorry for himself, but he never says he's sorry for what he did to Abel. He was a classic narcissist. You hear that word thrown around a lot. But you know, someone who's narcissistic, uh, they think it's always about them. They're always the center of the universe. And if they're not, and if people don't recognize that, then they're angry and they're jealous. Their countenance falls. And that's what Abel, that's what happened here to Cain. That's what Cain did. And out of that, he killed his brother. But we don't have any sense that he ever had any feeling, really, for what he did. When God brought down the judgment on him and said he would be a vagabond and he would uh, wander the earth and the other things that he said, he never says a thing about Abel. All he says is, oh, I, this is going to be too great for me to bear, Lord. I'm not going to be able to handle this. This is too tough. And, but in the middle of that, we see the amazing mercy of God. God even had mercy on Cain. And he set a mark on him. That's right. What I'm saying is the mark of Cain was a sign of the mercy and the protection of God. There's been, down through the years, there have been all kinds of uh, theories as to what the mark of Cain was. And there have been some awful things down through history that have been cited as what the mark is. It's even been, you know, at one time it was used as a, as a justification for racism, a justification for slavery, that that was the mark of Cain. That couldn't be further from the truth. The mark of Cain was not intended as something to, to put down or to injure. In fact, he's, remember Cain said, people are going to try to kill me. And so God set a mark on Cain in order to save his life, in order to preserve his life. We find Warren Wiersbe said God did an unexpected thing. He put a mark on Cain that would protect him from the assaults of people who wanted to kill him. We don't know what this mark was or why people would recognize it as God's protective seal, but it worked. This was purely an act of mercy on God's part. In his mercy, God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And in his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. That's a, good, that's a good statement to remember about mercy and grace. In mercy, God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And in grace, 
He does give us what we don't deserve. So God has, he gives us both his mercy and his grace. So what are the lessons that we learn from this account? I've got 11. You could probably come up with 11 more. Let me just run through these. God wants our very best in worship and in service. He wants our best. He wants us. He wants us. He doesn't just want our offering. He wants our heart. Submission and complete devotion to him. Secondly, jealousy often leads to other sin. Jealousy often leads to other sin. And it did in this case. Anger, thirdly, can lead to worse actions. And so if you tend anger, if you let it settle in your heart, hang on to it, it's going to give birth to other things. Fourthly, murder is serious not only to us, but it's serious to God. The taking of innocent life is something very serious before God. The blood of the innocent cry out to God for judgment. Number five, sorrow for the consequences of sin is not the same as sorrow for sin. I think Cain had sorrow for the consequences of his sin, but we find no expression that he was ever remorseful for what he did. Number six, narcissism has no place in the life of a Christian. We're not supposed to just be focused on me, my, and I, myself, like Cain was. We're to be focused on the Lord and who he is and what he wants. Number seven, motives for worship are more important than actions. Now, don't misunderstand me. They're actions we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, to be obedient in our actions. But the motivation for what we do, God sees that. So there was Cain. He gave an offering, but God wasn't pleased with it because he wasn't pleased with Cain. He was pleased with Abel, and therefore he was pleased with his offering. So the motivation of our heart needs to be right with God. And therefore, it will lead us to the right actions. Outward actions reveal inward commitment to the Lord. And so doing the right thing, it does reveal a heart that loves God. Number nine, we may be able to hide our sins from others, but we can't hide our sins from God. Number ten, God's mercy is greater than our sin. God was merciful even to Cain, even though Cain didn't deserve it. And I think that right there, early in the book of Genesis, was a sign of what was to come. That in our sin, in our hopelessness, God brought his mercy that was so undeserved. And finally, the blood of Jesus cries out for us, speaks for us, not crying out for judgment, but for grace and for forgiveness. The blood of Christ cries out for us in a good way, in a positive way, that we might be 
forgiven. Wants to bring us all to his great mercy and grace. So Cain and Abel, there's so much that we don't know and we'll never totally understand, but we can learn from both of these men. May we be like Abel, righteous, devoted, and willing to be submissive to God. Now, we don't necessarily want to be murdered in the process, but we're going to see Abel in heaven someday, aren't we? Because he had a heart for God. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for what we learn about not only Cain and Abel, but about ourselves, about the world around us, about you from this account in Genesis 4. Thank you for, for preserving it and giving it to us. And Lord, help us to take these lessons and may it help us to become more like you. Lord, if there's something we're hanging on to, anger, bitterness, jealousy toward another person, perhaps tonight you would lead us, Lord, to confess that to you, to let go of it and lay it at your feet so that it doesn't lead us to actions that will be destructive either to us or to other people. So just speak to our hearts even as we sing this invitation song. And Lord, we pray that publicly or privately, you'll help us to commit ourselves to you in a way that will bring honor to your name. For we pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.